0: So, Charlotte Johnson, you are, for a lot of people, including myself, this very creative person. Have you always been that way?
1: So, I think as a person, I've always been naturally interested in creativity. But in regards to my sales career, it's only been more recently that I've been adding it into it. Because I thought when I first started sales that I had to be this really professional person and use all this impressive language and I shouldn't be letting that side um, shine through. Um, but as I've gone on with my sales career and I've started to be more myself and add in that creativity, that's when I've started to get more and more successful.
0: What is it about when you first start that leads you to believe you need to be so serious?
1: Uh, it's a a funny question. I honestly have no idea. I completely masked my personality I just assumed that I should be this really professional, um, serious person because I'm talking to senior people. And in my mind, I was like, these senior people are really serious. They're really professional. But I didn't really think about the fact that, okay, a lot of them are kind of like the same age as my mum. And is my mum a, a serious person? No, not at all. Does she like to have a drink and have a laugh? Yes, 100%. So why are why are those people that we're speaking to, just because they run a company, any different to my friends or my family? The answer is they're not. So I find it funny when and interesting when people first start a roll and they think that they need to put their serious hats on and be this really serious person, when in fact, That's not actually a pattern interrupt. The pattern interrupt is you being yourself and you putting through your personality.
0: Do you think there's also something about intimidation? Like you're coming in, you mentioned this word a couple times, and I know you've written about this as well, this senior person, this C-level executive. It's almost like we're putting them on some kind of pedestal. Do you think there's also some intimidation that you feel a little bit in the beginning?
1: Yeah, massively. I was petrified of calling and emailing these senior people, because I just thought that, I, I don't know why I had this massive hierarchy in my head um, that people from who, who run a company don't wanna talk to junior people. Um, so I think I built this hierarchical structure in my head where I convinced myself that I don't deserve to be speaking to these people, when in fact, I definitely do. <laughs>
0: When did that change? Like, When did you go from being in this position of I'm not worthy to they're lucky they're talking to me? (laughs) Yeah.
1: I think it's when I joined a company where I was passionate about what I was selling, that and the more people I spoke to and the more people I realized I am massively helping them and their company exceed. After I realized that and the fact that okay, these people are very normal. They're no different to my friends and family. Once all of these little things clicked, it kind of, everything else just kind of fell in place. And then I became less intimidated to reach out, call them, email them, um, et cetera.
0: I see this a lot I want to get your take on it. A mm-hmm. lot of SDRs join a company, they're calling a chief technology officer. They've never done that job before. They're very intimidated same with you, you're calling people that you've never done their job before. How did you go about getting to know those people better and starting to believe that what you had could fundamentally help them, you know, be more awesome at their job? Like, what was your what was your process?
1: I think at first, I was very vulnerable. And when I was reaching out to these, these senior salespeople, I was very much in the state of look, I'm, I'm new to this company, I want to learn. And once I learned about the challenges that different salespeople are facing in different sales organizations, once I built up that, I then gained my confidence and was certain that this helps a lot of people. And then once I gained that confidence, the rest of it just becomes easy. Me then doing my prospecting in my day to day doesn't seem like an intimidation. It just seems like an exciting chance for me to speak to people and for me to help people.
0: How did you get to know them better? Like, what did you do specifically?
1: For example, before I joined Salesloft, I reached out to, I don't even know how many sales leaders, marketing leaders, SDR leaders. And I just asked for a call and I said, look, I'm joining this company or even before I was interviewing, I was like, I'm joining this company and I wanna know if this challenge that they're talking about and this product is a necessity in your life and if this is a real thing. And after speaking to a lot of sales leaders, day one, me going into Sales Loft, I was so confident that we are helping so many people because I've had these conversations already before even joining. And it's not the company telling me that these are their challenges. I've then heard it firsthand already.
0: and i think that's it's a great point so many people they're barking the words of the script they're given the language for marketing but they don't fundamentally feel it like i think if i'm reading you correctly it is kind of a feeling that you feel for the other person like you feel what it feels like for them to be doing their job the way they're doing it compared to the awesome after that you can provide what other types of things can reps do to get to know that because i i think this is a this is something very real and it really creates a a tremendous amount of anxiety for people going through the motions, but because they don't feel it, they don't quite feel confident and they feel anxious. And they feel rejected. What are some other strategies or tips that you might have for people to, to get to know the audience better?
1: Ask to speak to your customers, you have your company will have so many customers. And I guarantee there are a number who are champions. Uh, ask ask your customer success team if you can speak to some of them firsthand to dig into their process before having a solution in place, what before looked like and what after looked like and what would after look like now if they didn't have something in place. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, which you, you definitely should, there's someone internally in your company who is your ICP. And I wish I did this at my first my very first company, because I was selling to like CTOs and I really didn't understand the persona and their challenges. So why didn't I just reach out to the CTO at my company and ask in their language, what are the challenges without using this solution?
0: Yeah. What, what what do you think about also listening to inbound calls and hopefully the AE is saying some version of like, Hey, you know, last thing you probably want to do is talk to a salesperson, you know, what's going on at your company that prompted you to, you know, reach out today and sort of understand what was going on before because nobody decides one day to pick up and the the last thing people usually want to do is talk to someone in sales. So have you thought about that approach? Have you used that approach? Maybe listening to inbound discovery calls or getting some some prospect perspective there?
1: I think listening to inbound calls is so useful. But don't limit to that when i first joined sales loft i found out who the top performing reps were and i went and listened to all of their calls every single one of them their intro calls their bad calls how they handled objections how they did discovery calls and how they positioned it and i wrote everything down and at first i just copied it I just copied it. So straight out of the gate, I was performing and talking like these other high performing reps. And as time went on, I then adapted that to my own style and my own personality and creativity and my own language.
0: Has this always been in your DNA, this idea to self betterment? I mean, it sounds like you're really taking the bull by the horns and trying to reverse engineer, hey, hey, if it's working for these people, why reinvent the wheel? Why don't I, if I want to get better at selling real estate, maybe I should hang out with someone that's really good at selling real estate. I want to get better at doing this role. Let me kind of model myself after them. Has, has that always been sort of in your DNA to do that in terms of how you've learned things?
1: I think so. I, I did a post about this the other day. It's funny, but why should I go out and try and test all these things? and put 110% into everything. When I could speak to not just internally, but also externally, SDRs who I know are absolutely killing it, and asking what are they doing to book most of their meetings, finding out what they're doing, different tactics they're using, and trying it out. I think we don't best practice share enough in the SDR world, which I, I don't really know why, and I'm really open with sharing what's working with me because I want everyone to be succeeding and everyone to be in this really positive mindset. So I think sharing what's working and even just asking someone or an AE, how was it that you got there and things like that. And networking, I, I, I've always been a massive advocate of it. And I think more people should be as well.
0: Yeah, one, one of the things that struck me about you when I started going through your feed, and this is really common among most top performers that I bump into, or most successful people in general, is they see their setbacks as opportunities to get better. You know, Carol Dweck wrote a great book called The Growth Mindset. She calls it a growth mindset. Versus fixed mindset people who see their skills as limited. They'll say things like, my territory's small, that's why I can't convert higher. Growth mindset people, territory small, I'm just gonna convert higher. So that growth mindset, has that always been, have you always been that way? Like ever since you were little? Like, is that, is that DNA stuff, or did you grow into that?
1: I think that's me growing into that more recently. Um, and I spoke with Chris Hatfield. Um, he's a sales coach about this. And Simon Sinek talks about this, about having an infinite mindset and a finite mindset. And I think I was always very much, okay, I need to win. I need to do this. And I didn't necessarily see the opportunity side of it it's not that i need to do this and i need to i should want to and that's probably more of a recent development that i've actually changed my mindset from being like i need to beat everyone and if i don't win then i'm gonna feel really really horrible to okay i've not done the best i could have done today or this week or this month why haven't i done this reflect on it and what can i do to improve it um, so I think that's more of a recent thing, because I'm naturally very competitive. And I've always been like, I need to win. Um, but changing that energy into, okay, I don't need to win, but how can I better myself?
0: Yeah, it sounds like you were kind of comparing yourself to others, which put a lot of pressure on yourself.
1: Massively. I, would, I would think.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get into some of this other topics that I want to talk to you about. There's so much stuff, but <laughs> I want to go through your process a little bit mm-hmm. and dissect it a little bit for people because a lot of people listening to this want to learn from people that are doing well as you mentioned earlier and so when you're tasked with starting conversations with people that don't know you there's a tremendous amount of roadblocks ahead of you one you're a salesperson that inherently is a huge red flag normally because people are weary of sales people don't want to be sold and all the negative stereotypes they have of salespeople. Two, they're getting barraged from all sides with not only their inbox messages, but also advertising outside. You know, people are skipping YouTube commercials as fast as they can, hitting the skip button. They got ad blockers. They're trying to get away from being interrupted. So there's a tremendous amount of noise and messages coming at people. So breaking through and starting conversations, I think, is the toughest part of the sales job period, end of story. And uh, you're good at it. So let's actually talk through it a little bit. And I know it was a journey for you. I actually watched your first vidyard video that you made. And I've seen sort of the evolution, uh, dance dance revolution, but Charlotte revolution through the prospecting. But let's just kind of unpack this a little bit, you know, step one in this, it seems in looking at your approaches, you're really very selective of the people that you actually choose to spend your time with, um, you're not getting this list of 10,000 people, um, talk to me a little bit about why you do that and how you select the people to spend your time with.
1: So I have actually changed this a bit recently um, because I realized I was doing a lot of effort and a lot of researching on different industries and different people and stuff like that. So I was putting a lot of effort and a lot of unnecessary effort into how I select people. So recently, I've been selecting certain industries. So for example, um, value added resellers, is one that I've been looking at recently. And then I will select the top companies for that. And then I'll read up on news trends, what's happening in that industry, have has things changed with remote working, so I understand what's happening. Um, and then I'll select, select my top prospects from it using SalesNab. Um But then I'm going to do a lot of research and as soon as you start speaking to people in certain industries it just sparks up easier conversations with other people in those industries so i think step one for me is having a focus i don't want to be going after one second doing a video on value-added resellers and then the next doing a marketing agency because my brain can't my brain can't process that fast so step one for me is having a focus on the industry and the type of people I'm going after.
0: What is it about the industry? Like, isn't the job similar? Is it a, is it a situation that they're going through or are there nuances based on the industry?
1: So there's always things like industry trends, for example, e-commerce, you can read loads of industry trends, how they're absolutely booming right now. Everything's switched to digital. So I can create a hypothesis from that. And that doesn't mean me then when I'm doing my video outreach, having to do an extensive amount of research per company, I'm knowledge in that industry. So then I can actually personalize at quite a scale in order to get my message across, but it seems like I'm really knowledgeable and I've done loads of research, but I've actually not done a huge amount of research. I've done enough to become that industry expert.
0: I got it. So it's like, you, you know, enough to be dangerous for this group of people, but you're not necessarily drilling down to a specific person because these group of people all have similar things that they're struggling with, and it sounds like you kind of get a little deep into that. It's interesting, you know, um, Mark Cuban wrote about this. He was starting, I think it was like his first media company and he didn't know anything about media. He calls it the, uh, the, the knowledge advantage. I think he called it in his book where he would just read up on media companies and he'd go into these rooms and he'd be like the people would think he's the smartest person in the room because most people in the industry don't actually read about their industry, they're they're kind of like stagnant. So someone like you coming in, reading what's current can come across and does come across because it's true that you have a little credibility and kind of know what's going on in the space. I also think people in general, want to know like what they don't know. And I think it's, um it's a they're, they're attracted to resources and people that can help them level up. Um, so it sounds like you spend a little time kind of delving in and getting a sense of what's going on in the industry? What kind of challenges are they facing? And then also, I would imagine identifying the ones that kind of ladder back to sales loft, in a sense, because not all trends will be relevant. So you're kind of, it's almost like you're sifting and sorting, like using the Harry Potter sifting, sorting
1: hat. (laughs) It's kind of step one for me is doing the industry research. um, Because I don't think that's necessarily enough. Like you said, our buyers inboxes are bombarded. So doing things like just industry trends, or just persona based outreach, me personally, I don't think is enough. Um, So I, as an SDR, I want to be separating myself from all the mass inbox in their LinkedIn, in their phones, in every single channel that they're getting. So what can I do in my research, but then also in my outreach to really separate myself? So I try to really, with my research, just go that step further. And things like understanding who their buyers are. I'm reading their case studies, which doesn't take a huge amount of time. I probably maybe do like seven minutes on an account when I'm researching them, which isn't a huge amount of time. Cause I only have to do that research once Yeah. But from that. I can really understand and differentiate myself and look at things like, okay, I'm going to go on LinkedIn and I'm going to go on their sellers and I'm going to understand their sales structure. And from me looking at their sales structure, who their buyers are who they who they're selling to, and their industry trends, I'm equipped with so much knowledge that I can then have an abundance of ways that I can relate their challenges and their organization to sales loft.
0: Okay, excellent. So I I do get that. It sounds like it's a little one step removed from the actual person though, right? Or are you proposing that you also go to the person's profile? And you're now going another level deeper into like, are they writing posts? Are they doing articles? Or are you kind of keeping it a little bit higher or does it vary based on the person? Maybe they do have something, maybe they don't.
1: Yeah, so it's varied. The research I'll typically do is I'll look at their LinkedIn profile as a foremost, because I try and think about it for me. What would I respond to if someone emailed me? And I care about my LinkedIn. I post stuff that I'm passionate about. And I assume it's the same for other people. So that's kind of step one for me, understanding their LinkedIn, what they say about themselves and stuff like that, looking at their posts, looking at their recommendations even to understand what kind of person they are. Then I will quickly look at their sales structure because sometimes maybe their account manager heavy, which actually means that they're not focused on new business, they're probably more focused on renewals. And then I'll go over their website and look like who they sell to, And are they hiring? Because a lot of the time, the careers page is an absolute goldmine. Because if the person I'm selling to has a responsibility or their employees they're hiring for, it's literally listing what they're doing day to day. And an overview of the company focus. Um, So I will look at those things. And from that, um, I'll create a hypothesis. And I'll even make it into a game with them. And on my video be like, look, from all this research, and I'll literally walk them through the research on the video. Look, I read this on your LinkedIn profile, and then this on your careers page. And from this, and please poke holes in this hypothesis if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing that a big priority is this. And the challenges around this is X and Y. Am Am I close or have I got this completely wrong? And making it more, look, she's done her homework. She's come up with a hypothesis. Yeah, it might be wrong, but. It just shows I'm more credible.
0: So you're kind of like connecting the dots, right? You're like, and, and your first touch is a video Yeah. generally. So why, will, why do you start? Why do you start with the video?
1: So I add them on LinkedIn first to point them that look, I've been doing research on you and I'm literally about to send you a personalized video, but I found a few things interesting about whatever your careers page. To pique a bit of curiosity, so they're actually looking out for my name. Then I'll send the video first. Um, We've just found, especially in EMEA where sales loft maybe isn't as recognized as in the US. We need to do a bit of educating before necessarily calling them. So I want the people that I'm reaching out to, to know my name, to know my face and to know that, okay, she's done her homework. And then maybe I think it's on step four is when I'm going to call them.
0: Right. So you'll send a LinkedIn connection request and you'll create like a little bit of an open loop. Hey, did some research on you, made, made you a video, be on the lookout for it in your inbox. And then you'll send this video where you're showing them the research that you did and connecting the dots between what you learned and what you think their struggles are and maybe teasing how you've helped some other people in that area. And then you'll then maybe leave a voicemail message and make a cold call.
1: Yeah, so step four, I'll do the any thoughts email, which we get really high response rates from. So three days after maybe the first video I've sent, do something like any thoughts. No, hi, no, my name at the end, just any thoughts. And that, that gets so many responses and probably equal amount of reply rates as as the video itself. And a lot of the time people be like, I'm so sorry. Um, I actually wanted to get back to this, but it just slipped my mind.
0: And is that because the video was so well researched and there was so much thought in it that people almost feel a little obligated to get back to you either way versus maybe an email that was a little bit more generic where there's not, does, doesn't really feel that bad to not get back to you? Because it was like doesn't feel like it was just for me.
1: I hope so, because I kind of pride myself on my outreach. And I think if I don't find this interesting, then why should they? Why should they respond to me if I haven't found a compelling reason for them to respond to me? And I try and make it um, as creative and to match my personality as well. So I might do a video but then I might do a PS and send them a direct mail from reach desk to share like, okay, I saw you're really into golf and uh, my mum has this golf this golf game, which she absolutely loves. So I thought you might enjoy it also. So I really put Make. emphasis into that initial email because I just think it's kind of, it's just showing like who you are. Why well, I have a, a kind of like, half-assed email which you're not really that passionate and not really put your all in i'd say my first email is the one that i put probably the most effort into
0: yeah and i guess you've been doing these a while so you get into a groove but i know one of the concerns people have or not concern, one of the things they're asking is does this take you like seven hours and do you need a cast of like 50 people production staff to make this um do you make one every uh, eight years Um, (laughs) What's your, what's your take on that?
1: When I first did my first video, it took me so long because I think I was striving p- for perfection. I thought this needs to be perfect. Um, so I think the first one took me maybe like 30 minutes of me re-recording it, getting really frustrated because I kept stumbling. But now I'm at a point where I actually think the mistakes make you more human and make it more humorous. So I've had a time where I've literally knocked over my tea because I'm quite, I'm quite wavy with my arms when I'm explaining things. I knocked over my tea and I was like, oh no, my tea, I just knocked it over. And I was like, anyway, what, what I was saying is, and I carried on. Um, so for me, it's kind of consistency. I probably can do, I think I can probably do my research and a video. I could, I could do it in five minutes. Wow. Ten yeah, you get so used to it um, and at lot we do these video races um, and it's not uncommon for us to do like 13, 14 in an hour so you get really into your groove and once you know the industry trend and you're focusing on a similar structured company it then makes it really easy and quick to then pick out that one nugget of information and then relate it to the challenges and just be like look we help with this and I'm intrigued if this is a challenge that you're running into. So I actually find it quicker for me to send a video now than to send a written email. And I, a lot of the times I, if my follow up emails, my, um, messages before I've scheduled a demo, I actually send a video because I find it quicker to do for me personally. And I find it way more personable, especially when we're all remote.
0: This is something else you talked about in one of your posts, which is sales as an experience where the prospect isn't just buying into your value proposition or how you might be able to help them. But it's also about how you the salesperson are making them feel. And I think a lot of people don't take that into account. Can you unpack that a little bit?
1: So people aren't buying your company, people don't buy from a company, they're buying from people. So how can I get through to them on not just Uh, okay, I'm going to help your life, but also on a a human level. Um, And I think it's not just an investment into this product. You're actually investing into that company when you're purchasing a product. So how can that person not just support me with helping my my team be more awesome, but how can they actually help invest in our company and help them grow? And I think things like I, I stay in contact with, whether they're my prospects or they've bought sales left, I like to keep in contact with them to have that more emotional level. But then also like sharing things that your company are doing to show that this is this isn't just a product. We're actually a really great company with a really great culture. And we'd like you to partner with us, not to purchase our products, but we want you to partner with us.
0: Yeah, I think too, like one of the things that, struck me when I was watching your content, and I've never been on the recipient end of one of your prospecting videos, but I would imagine when you make people feel good, like when they feel something from your video that you've actually you have some personality, and you show that you care, I think that at at the core of what you're doing here is you're actually showing people that you care, um, and you make people feel good, there is a biological chemical that is released in the brain, serotonin or oxytocin I can't keep track of all these science studies and chemicals but something good is released and they kind of associate you with that feeling and that is a differentiator you know in this world where there's so many different products that are similar in functionality the salesperson and how they construct their outreach and their personality can be a differentiator is that what you're finding as well when you're reaching out to people is that kind of some of your underlying mojo
1: yeah I I think massively getting your personality and showing that you're just a human but also like not necessarily if I don't have a reply from someone but I've provided them with valuable content and I've like you said made them feel good in my eyes I've done my role even if I haven't booked a meeting from it if I'm educating someone and I'm helping them even if they're not buying sales loft then me I've done my role um, and that's my goal, and I think this is why I've become more and more successful as I've gone on in the SDR um, role. Because at first, my goal was to book meetings. I need to do this cold call, and I need to book a meeting. And then I slowly started changing from, okay, I, I, I'm not really as fussed about the outcome. If they do, if they don't need sales off now or in the future or whatever, or they want to go with a competitor, that's fine. But if I, as a salesperson, have added them value and I've made them feel good, that's all that I kind of want from my day to day. And naturally, you book from that anyway.
0: Yeah, isn't that wild? It's, it's kind of ironic that when you let go and you detach, you end up attracting more people. When you're so focused on booking the meeting, you're a nervous wreck. Yeah, <laughs> off putting and people sort of want to be, uh, be apart from you. So um, something else that struck me about you as well was how you get real with people. Um, on a cold call. So we'll kind of get into this a little bit. A lot of times people are petrified to pick up the phone because they can feel like they're interrupting people and they don't want to get rejected. It feels bad to get rejected. Um, What have you done to get more comfortable on the phone? Because I would imagine at the beginning, it wasn't like that you were probably a little nervous or anxious as well.
1: I used to be petrified of the phone. I think I <laughs> I was, I would make any excuse under the sun not to call. Um, and I think it's once I detached myself from booking a meeting, when I first started, I thought, after this call, I need to book this person in. That was my mindset. I should be booking a demo, which is why I would do so much prep and why I'd overthink the introduction, and I'd overthink every single possible element that could go wrong with it because I was like, I need to book this person. And as time went on, I realised I don't actually need to book this person, even if they tell me we're using a competitor. That's a kind of win. Even if that's the outcome, look, we're using them and we're really happy. That's fine. I don't need to be booking someone from that, from that first meeting and any kind of nugget of information I can get, that's a win for me. So it doesn't, I don't need to be booking that meeting. And then the second thing I started doing was, I didn't try to go in for a demo after my first call. Even now, my goal from a call, a cold call, because I understand I'm interrupting them, and they might be running into a meeting. My goal is to set up an additional 10-15 minutes to see if this is actually a fit, because it might not be, and that's fine. But setting up a dedicated time, 10, 15 minutes, which really isn't a lot. Um, And that's now my goal from a cold call. So firstly, understanding that I don't need to book an hour slot after a call. I just need to find out a little bit of valuable information as step one. And then secondly, my cold call objection isn't to necessarily even book them. But if I can book them, it's only for a short time period. And I think that kind of changed my mindset. And after realizing that, I started to have so much more fun with it and my personality would come through and I'd just be a lot more natural and not overthink elements because I was like, if this person picks up and they hang up or they're not interested or whatever, it it doesn't matter because I don't need to book this person. I don't need to.
0: You mean your life is not gonna end if they don't book the meeting, you're gonna still be fine? You're you're not gonna, you'll still be able Apparently not. <laughs>
1: which is what I thought when I first started um it it was funny I remember I used to write down all the possible objections that I could get and I would ask my colleagues like how would you overcome this when the reality is that you're not going to learn from writing stuff down you're going to learn from running into that and being truthful. like just be honest with them they're another human if you come up into an objection be honest be like that's a really good objection. I've never actually, I've never actually run into this one yet. Um, And make it humorous and more human, because you don't have to have an answer for everything. It's not. Yeah,
0: I've never run into this objection before. How would you overcome it if you were me?
1: As a sales leader, (laughs) how would you you overcome it? Please teach me.
0: (laughs) So do do you have some type of a structure when you cold call? Or is it looser than that? Do you follow like some type of framework in a sense that you've, Glean from other people. Like, walk us through. Or actually, maybe we could do like a little tiny role play just to kind of get a sense of it. By this time, I would imagine the person is pretty warmed up because they've seen, you know, a video where you've put substantial work in. So there's maybe even some awareness of who you are, and you probably get a lot. I would imagine. Hey, I know you. You're the person from the video. I would think. But let's let's, yeah. let's just role play this. Like, I'm a, I'm a yeah. VP of Sales. Let's say I'm in your ICP in the right industry. You've sent me the video you've sent me the any thoughts thing you haven't heard back from me um i pick up the phone let's just see how it goes and then i might have some questions and we'll dissect it so uh so hi this is josh
1: hey josh charlotte from sales loft
0: hey charlotte how's it going
1: yeah not bad look josh i know you weren't expecting my call um i'm not gonna lie this is a cold call um but i've been doing loads of research i've just been doing about 10 minutes of research on you have been inhaling your website, your LinkedIn, I've been checking your careers page um, specifically, but do you you have a second for me to explain from my research why I've been so keen to, to reach out to you?
0: Sure, sure, sure.
1: Great. Well, Josh, I've been, as I said, in absorbing all your content, your LinkedIn, everything. And it was interesting to read about your sales structure on LinkedIn and they're a pretty heavy AE team. And from this, and please poke any holes into this hypothesis. I'm getting, I'm guessing that a big focus for you guys is on building pipeline with these enterprise accounts in the banking industry, while managing deals as well. So they're a they're a busy team. Can I share the frustrations that I hear around these?
0: All right, uh, let's let's end the role play. So a couple things that stood out for me as a person listening to that call almost impossible to hang up the phone you know i'm sure you get the typical objections like i'm busy or whatever but it's it's almost impossible to hang up the phone because you almost feel like this person cares about me and i want to be able to hear them out i also noticed your tonality um, was very uh friendly and not very hypey Um, I sensed like a friendly kind of calming tone. Is that something that you've worked on? Um, Is that something that you've practiced or is this just like how you are? Or talk to me a little bit about, about the delivery.
1: I think it's just how I talk normally. I think I'm quite a calm, um like to take pauses <laughs> kind of person but it wasn't when I first started I'd talk really fast and I'd, I'd tried being really happy and overly hyped but I think a big part of it is just matching matching the person if they're really blunt with me I'm going to be blunt with them and Be like, look I, n- I know you probably don't want to be you don't want to be taking this cold call as much as I don't really want to be making it to be honest and just matching their I, I tone if they're really happy and they're really they're having a good day, then I'm going to match them, and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm also having an awesome day.
0: <laughs> right. And so when you go through, like, here's some of the challenges that we're seeing, I would imagine then you pass the baton back and you say, those, do any of those resonate with you or are you bumping into those? And then you, maybe you have a, a conversation a little bit around that. And then at some point do you then try to, how do you then bridge from that into the ask, which I, according to what I heard before, is this kind of 15 minute let's learn more approach. How would you sort of Bridge. Yeah, yeah, as you know, Charlotte, we've, we've definitely struggled with a couple of those things, A, B, and C.
1: So I'll be really blunt and be like, look, I know you're probably busy and have a meeting probably in like 10 minutes. So my, my reason for calling you wasn't to have a big call now. I actually just want to set up 10 minutes, maybe tomorrow or later on today, where you actually have a dedicated slot and we can d- discuss this to see, look, if it's a fit, then great. But if not, let's just pass, part ways as friends.
0: Yeah, something else too that I noticed in that language that you use is really non assumptive. You know, if it is, if it isn't, you know, so I don't feel the push of the typical, hey, let's set up some time Tuesday at three o'clock so I can show you how we could 10X your conversion rates. You know, that's a very sort of different different vibe. Um, One thing I want to talk to you about next is objections. Um, I read a bunch of stuff. I actually wrote a little post about you this morning because I was doing some research on you. See, I'm following the Charlotte Johnson approach already. I'm doing research on my guests before I have them on the on the show. One of the things that I really liked, and I think it is probably one of the biggest objections that people get is, you know, I'm about to run into a meeting, you caught me at a really, really bad time. And you've got a really phenomenal way that you diffuse that. Um, So I want to role play it with you. And then I want to dissect it and help people understand the psychology because it's not that I'm proposing or probably Charlotte's proposing that use her exact words. But I do want you to understand the psychology behind it, so that you can sort of make it your own. So let's just role play this just so people can get a sense of it, because I, I really liked it a lot, um, made me kind of smile. And I think that's half the battle on a but cool also, call. Like I also you...
1: don't really know where you where where you found this from as well. I was a bit almost like, where has he found this objection from because I don't think I've posted about it. <laughs>
0: Well, I also have your art from when you were in kindergarten. We're going to talk about that next. Um, so no, so so uh, yeah, I don't I'll put you on the spot here. So let's actually say so, so. You know, um, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really busy. I'm about to go into a meeting. Um, can you call me next week?
1: Yeah, Josh, I'm happy to call you next week. But honestly, if this isn't a fit now, then there's no point in me actually even even pestering you next week. But can I just take maybe thirty seconds now? to tell you a bit from my research why I think we can help you and why I've been so keen to, to reach out to you and look, if you're interested, then great. I can call you back next week, but if not, then I don't need to call you back next week and I can, uh, I can leave you for your day.
0: Yeah. So a couple of things, like one of the things that this is to me is it's helping you get to more truth because I think so many salespeople will hear that response and think, oh my God, they asked me to call them back later. When in fact, what they're really saying is they're really not interested. So I think you're kind of getting to the truth behind every conversation, which is, do they want to talk or do they not want to talk? Something else that you did, and I go, I know I'm putting you on the spot here. This is maybe from three years ago. This is a phrase that you used. And I I really love this because I think any opportunity you have to make someone smile, even if the joke bombs, it's worth it. And this one really made me smile. It was like, you know, I, I appreciate you're busy. And I caught you randomly. You know, I just called someone the other day, and they were min- they were they were uh, chopping up onions. They were they were mid chop, mid onion chop. I think was the phrase that you use. They were they were yeah. some, they were mid onion chop. You know, so that's that's kind of what's going on with like when you said that was that something you just kind of thought of beforehand, or did you have that planned out before? Like the other day, I'm I called someone, and they were just mid onion chop.
1: <laughs> yeah, not planned at all, and like. I kind of just use all the other calls that I've been having to just share, like, funny examples of, like, people I've run into. Like, I I called someone the other day and it was his birthday. So we were having a great chat about his birthday, so I could then use that on another call. Um, So I don't really plan it and I don't really think that we should be, like, okay, I should copy Charlie's mid-onion chop thing because it's not you, it's not authentic. You're copying someone else's being yourself and getting your personality across is what's going to help you create that bond with that other person.
0: Right. Right. And I think like, if you take a look at psychologically, what's going on with the mid onion chop thing, that, that line to me was like, that was funny. Like the, the visualization that I'm actually calling someone and they're like in the middle of chopping their onions and that's why they were busy. You know, like some, something that I would probably low. say is you know mid, mid, mid trampoline jump, you know, something like yeah. that. But I think that to your point earlier, when we started talking about the call, any opportunity, you have to be a little loose. Um, mm-hmm. I did something uh, about five months ago, I did this post on LinkedIn, I said prospect picks up, you get the first sentence out, they say, I can't talk right now, I'm at the gym, what do you say? So it was about 400 comments on that post about and I had them calculated 84% of them or some version of "When can I call you back? I'll call you back next week. Yeah. Call you back next Tuesday." Um, what would you have said? Hey, Charlotte, I, I can't talk right now. I'm at the gym.
1: I'd ask what they're doing at the gym. <laughs> what part are you working out?
0: <laughs> right, right. Back or buys? Is it? Did I catch you leg day? You yeah. want to skip and talk to me? Like right? Yeah. But that's the thing. Like that requires you to your point to detach, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you're attached to the meeting you're kind of in that 86%. And I think when you're detached, you can sort of be in the moment. I think this is what you're, you're talking about here. Is just kind of being in the moment, right? It's like, just kind of being in the moment and letting go of like, that you're trying to book a meeting or a demo.
1: Because even if you that person is mid working out and you've distracted them and you've made them laugh because you're like, oh, where are you, what are you working out on? And made them laugh and then like, look, anyway, I'll let you go that person's going to remember you. So when you do reach out again, you can use that either in your email subject heading, be like, how was your app workout? Or when you call them again, use that. You don't have to use that first call or that first email or whatever to book the meeting. You can use all these nuggets that you're getting. Maybe they were like, oh, the, my kids are going crazy and use that in your next outreach to show you that you're a human. If I heard someone saying about their kids running around, I'd probably go on Reach Desk and send them something to do with how to make kids karma, I don't know, some kind of game or something, and then just add a bit of personality into it. It makes it fun as well. I don't want to be a, a robot day today and have this monotonous role of calling and doing all this scripted stuff. I want to have fun with it.
0: One of the best cold calls I ever made Fifteen years ago was to Geico, which ended up being a six-figure account. And I called the admin to Jess Reed, who reported up to um, Tony Nicely, who was the CEO at the time. She was out in California, and I called and I heard her like eating, like crunchy, something crunchy. And I'll never forget this. I said, Are, "Is it lunch? Are you eating avocado toast? Doesn't everyone in California eat avocado toast with like Himalayan sea salt? Is that?" And she, like, it's not like she spit out her food. She was in fact eating avocado toast. And that, to your point, that became a thing, right? Like that sale progressed and that avocado toast was always a thing that we were able to kind of bring up. And I think it gets back to your point, which is to just like be in the moment a little bit and have a little fun with it. Last week I, had, I cold called someone and I heard a dog barking. I said, it was clearly like a little chihuahua, but I said, is that a pit bull? And does that pit bull, does it, does it bite salespeople? It does, doesn't it? It's like, it hates salespeople. I, I gotta get off the phone.
1: I'll hang i hang up. It
0: kind of lightens it up a little bit. And I think um, that's what you can that's what you can kind of do when you're sort of detached from the outcome and have a little fun with it.
1: Oh, it makes it. Yeah. Like you said, having fun with it. Like these people who are getting cold calls don't want these serious conversations either. They want they they've answered the phone because they're they're probably not actually busy. They <laughs> have a moments. How can you how can you make that procrastination moment of them answering the phone worthwhile instead of pitching them like make it fun?
0: Right. Absolutely. Okay, so last thing I want to talk to you a little bit about is you mentioned also this idea of curiosity in sales.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Talk a little bit about that for a second. Why you're so hyped up on that word?
1: So I am naturally and I think everyone I know is naturally such a curious person. When I, if I receive, for example, something in the mail that has my name on it, I have to, and it's not from like mother bank or something, I have to open it instantly to find out what it is. If I see someone's done a video and they've sent it to me and they're on my LinkedIn page, I have to I have to click on it. Someone sent me a voice note saying I was doing research and I had a quick question. I'm like, what's their question? It just runs into my mind and my curiosity takes over and I'm like, I need to find out. And why am I that different from other people? I I don't think I am. So how can I use that to pique other people's curiosity? So I will do things like in my voice notes, when I leave the LinkedIn voice notes, I will just say things like, had a quick question, dot, dot, dot. And you're thinking, what's her question? What is it? And you have to click on it. Or in my videos, when I send an email, I'll be like scrolling through your LinkedIn posts and found something really interesting dot 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 and the video will be me on that post so obviously this person wants to find out about what I'm saying about their posts or what I'm saying about the research that I've done with them so using that to your advantage to to get a response from from someone
0: love that I mean it's I, there's a guy George Lowenstein who is a behavioral economics professor, I think it's at Carnegie Mellon. He calls these information gaps and brains cl- crave the closure, right? If you've ever watched a series on Netflix, you get to like the last, I'm watching Queens gambit. Now you get to like the last 30 seconds and like, you like, you can't stop the thing from going to the next episode because they kind of create these open loops. And I think that's what you're, you're what you're doing there as well as you're kind of creating these open loops. You also do something, I think it was you, I'm not sure. Maybe it was someone else. You do this thing with a video where you're kind of pointing up to your Email like saying is that, like can you what was that again? I don't know. I'm botching this story because I, I don't remember I, things anymore, Charlotte. I'm old. I'm not young. <laughs> I don't remember anything anymore. Just there's a, these fragments of things that I've seen on my feed.
1: I've I used a number of things with that, so I can use if I'm doing a video in the any thoughts instead of me doing any thoughts, I might do a gif of me pointing up like that, and then they're gonna be like, "What's she pointing at?" or on LinkedIn, you can add in a GIF, And there's this little baby that I like to use and he's pointing up and it's pointing up at the last thing I sent to them, but it's funny and it's adding a bit of humor to just to nudge them, but not in an annoying kind of pesky way.
0: Yeah, I think this this gets back to the theme of this podcast episode with you, Charlotte, which is just to make people feel a little good and to turn the sale into an experience, much like you would have an experience when you'd go into a four seasons, you know, there's an experience that you have when you go into a nice restaurant or any kind of restaurant, this is the experience. And not just thinking about sales as a value proposition and vanilla messages that you have to get across, but how do I communicate in ways that are clear, that pique curiosity and make people actually feel something. And I know you're you're big on that as well with uh, you talk a lot about emotional, emotional words, maybe we can end on that. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about The problem of vanilla words in sales, I call them kind of these these vague words where we're talking about ROI and conversion rates um, and why those don't land as much and what you recommend instead.
1: If you think about your poor buyer's inbox it's probably flooded with these words. And I asked a marketer the other day. I was like, what do you do with emails when there's jargon words in it? And he was like, they go straight in the trash bin. I don't even want to look at them. You don't purchase something because you're like, I want to have some more ROI. And you don't go home to your family and be like, oh, I had such an annoying day. I wish I had a solution that was um, 360 degrees machine learning so I could increase ROI and pipeline. No one speaks like that. But for some reason, we've all adopted this language and we think that our buyers care about it. When the reality is that no one goes home and says that. People go home and be like, I'm so frustrated that my stupid, annoying sales reps, I have to constantly nag them to update Salesforce, which makes my life a headache when it comes to forecasting things to my C-level. Using these languages, things like nagging and annoying and things like that, that people actually say, um, not only is a huge pattern interrupt because other people aren't saying stuff like that, but it's also hitting them on a personal level.
0: Yeah, so another great example is I was doing some work with a company called Altrix. It doesn't really matter what they do. But they sell a data analysts, data analysts are compiling a bunch of stuff in spreadsheets, manually, they have a way to automate it. So rather than saying, we helped analysts be 45% more efficient through our optimized Altrix platform. Um, what we said was something like this, you know, um, what analysts hate mm. about their job is smashing together spreadsheets, stuff like joining tables, staying home, staying up yeah. late at night, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But you get that from actually listening to customers talk, because that word yeah. smashing came out of the mouth of a customer. And so I, I love that approach. So Charlotte, if people want to know more about you, they want to connect, if someone wants to buy 7,000 licenses of sales loft right now, because they've heard this or like, I need to buy sales loft for my whole mm-hmm. org, maybe my whole country. Um, what's the best way to, to get on your radar?
1: Message me on LinkedIn, and um, I can send you to myself or the correct person who who needs to chat to you.
0: <laughs> Excellent. And if you want to be on the receiving end of Charlotte's prospecting, let's say you're a prospect, you're listening to this, you're a VP of Sales, you're like, I want to be on the, I want to opt in. Charlotte is the only SDR that allows you to opt in. You have to opt into her messaging. She doesn't just send it to everybody. <laughs> if you feel worthy enough that you want to opt in to Charlotte's campaign and see what that's about, then you can email her, send her a video, make your case, yeah. tell her why you should—you are worthy of her because she is the prize and maybe she will make you in one of her campaigns. Charlotte, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. This was really a lot of fun.
1: Thank you.